I suppose, since this is, these are going to be personal reflections on a lifetime spent in the classroom, I should introduce myself, more or less. I say that because I think that each of us, <coughs> each of us is, has a, a perception of the classroom and teaching and students based upon our own experiences, which are based upon where we've grown up and what our life has, how our life has evolved. And so, in order to start, I need to go back to the beginning. I turned 75 this year, which means I'm among the eldest of the baby boomers. I was born and raised, lived my life, and built my career <coughs> in St. Catharines, Ontario, which is a small town not far from Niagara Falls. That means that I'm the product of the Ontario educational system. Not American, not European, not, not Asian, Ontario. And for as long as I can remember, we in Ontario have been at the forefront of many of the changes in education. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about are things that I remember being a part of a group that piloted things. So the question is, where should I start? And I guess, let me begin by painting the picture of the elementary school I went to, since this is going to be about schooling. Glenridge School was a small K-6 school, usually with just one grade for one classroom for each grade, at least when I began, when I was in kindergarten and grade one and so on. We were brought up at a time when boys had their entrance and girls had their entrance. The principal's office was only someplace you went when you were bad. The staff room was off bounds completely. And education was very traditional. By the time I finished my career, education was changed completely and totally. And so some of what I want to accomplish in this series of podcasts is how they've changed. When I started in kindergarten in grade one, we were in classrooms, in desks that were in rows, and the teacher sat at the front of the classroom. And the teacher was the fount of all wisdom. We had all our subjects in the one classroom. 
Save for Fized. I know that we had Fized that was separate. There were people that came in from time to time to enrich the program in the in the school. But generally speaking, we were in one room all the time. There was no rotary. We knew everybody in the school because it was a small um, community within the city of St. Catharines. And we had all the traditional subjects, art, physical education, music, reading, mathematics, science, and social studies. And we got a report card four times a year with grades, A, B, C, D. There was no plus or minus. There were just the grades and a, and a place for comments from the teacher. And of course, report card day was a big event. When I went to grade seven, it was to a school that had been put together in a hurry because of the growth of the baby boomer population. By the time I was going into grade seven, there was already the need for a new elementary school in the area where I grew up. And we went to grade seven and grade eight and then it became a high school that same school and the education we got was once again very traditional we had all the main all the usual subjects with rotary and so on and grades nine a b c d e f g and so forth, depending upon the school and the number of students. Because I was an academic, meaning I was interested in languages and literature and so forth, I was in 9A, then 10A, then 11A, then 12A, then 13A. And then we noticed, I said, there was 13A, meaning we had five years of high school. And then... We graduated. Five years meant you had an honors degree, and in those days, the education in the province of Ontario was aimed at the 15% at the top that were going from high school to university. And then in university, of course, we sat in big, huge rooms with all kinds of people. Of course, the question was, what was I going to do with my life? My father wanted me to be a doctor, a medical doctor. I wanted something different. I ended up applying to law school, but I didn't have the marks to get in, and so I went back to university and after I got my first degree and wasn't accepted to law school, I got a Master of Arts. And then I decided I was going to go overseas 
I was accepted for what was then called Canadian University Students Overseas. And I went on a student junket at the Christmas break to Israel and England. And because I had friends that were students on the campus of the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, I fell in love. I had been to Israel once already. I lived there for a year on a special program. And then I decided I was going to give up going with CUSO and go to the Hebrew University. So I applied, was accepted, and I was going to work on a doctorate. I had problems because I was lonely, number one. And number two, I really had no idea what I wanted to do my PhD in way back when. And so I dropped out of the PhD program and I came home. Friends got me a job working at a McDonald's, the first McDonald's in Canada. And I had the morning shift getting the kitchens ready for lunchtime. Those were the days when McDonald's was only open from lunch until like late in the evening, but not overnight. And then I found out about a special program. The city of St. Catharines was hiring a group of people who wanted to be um, teacher's aides, assistants in elementary schools. And each candidate was offered two schools and they were going to be paid $100 a week. I started after Christmas and I fell in love with the classroom. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I had it in me to be a teacher, but I fell in love with being in the classroom. And so I applied to the, the uh, normal school, the College of Education in St. Catharines uh, on the new campus of Brock University. And I went to school for a full 10 months and then I became a teacher. And the rest, of course, is history. In other podcasts, they'll talk about what Teachers College was all about and practice teaching was all about and being interviewed for jobs and so forth. But what I want to focus on here because it is a perfect segue into what I want to do in this series of podcasts is that we were taught all about the skills involved in managing a classroom. We were taught about what it meant to deliver a lesson, to ask the right questions, and to be effective Sages on the stage, managing a class of students and hoping that they learn something. We didn't learn a hell of a lot, to be perfectly honest with you, but it was all cut and dried. Today, when we talk about curriculum, when I talk about curriculum, I talk about 
the knowledge, the skills, and the affect that we are trying to impart in the classroom. So, when I was in teacher's college, we learned nothing about the knowledge, maybe a little bit about child development. We learned all about the skills, all about the skills, and that's it. There is nothing about the affect. And then we were thrown out into the classroom. We got jobs. We tried to become effective teachers. Some of us were great teachers right from the start. I was not one of them. I struggled mightily to become a good teacher. I really, really had a lot of trouble. Even though everybody thought I was going to be a wonderful teacher, I had problems. And now when I look back, and since at the end of my career as a classroom teacher and then a consultant working in the schools of St. Catharines and the greater Niagara area, I became finally a PhD and finally started to teach young people who wanted to be teachers. And one of the things I tried to impart to them was that everybody starts out as a novice, a novice teacher. And we all want to become experts. That should be our goal. But we don't ever, all of us, become experts. Many of the classroom teachers that we run across today, that you run across today, are somewhere in a rut between novice and expert. It's all about how do we become expert? What does it require for us to become experts in teaching? And that's what I'm going to focus on because I'm calling these podcasts Lessons Learned the Hard Way. And I did struggle to learn the lessons. I had my ups and downs, but I think at the end of my almost 40-year career in a classroom, I have a pretty good idea of what it takes to be an expert teacher and what it takes to keep up with the changes in education so that I stay on top of my game. I don't have to stay on top of my game anymore, but I want those of you who are thinking about being teachers to understand that be going from novice, our first jobs, to expert is not an easy task. I used to tell my students when I taught at a college of education that Most kids like to play sports, like to be involved in sports. I wasn't one of them. I'm a geek. But I knew enough 
at the end of my career that most kids like sports of one kind or another. Very few of them become experts. Only a small proportion of the kids that play hockey end up in the NHL. Or the kids that learn how to play tennis battle it out at the U.S. Open or Wimbledon. Or the kids that like to play musical instruments getting to be guest artists playing in the concert halls of the world. There is a huge difference between loving and becoming the best at. And just like with all of those other things, becoming an expert teacher requires constant practice. And as my grandfather used to say, sometimes you have to hurt to do good. Sometimes we have to fall down to understand what it means to pick ourselves up, learn a lesson, and move forward. So these podcasts, however many there end up being, will be all about the lessons I can help you acquire through my experience. And if anything else, I hope that by listening to me once in a while, you get the idea that you don't have to give up being a teacher because you have problems. I could have given up after two or three years in the classroom. There were those who I worked for who really wanted me to give up. I was once told by a principal at a school where I practiced teaching that I was too smart to be a classroom teacher. I don't ever believe that. I didn't then and I don't now. We need people who are insightful and who have grit, who are prepared to pick themselves up after they've made a mistake and continue down the path. We cannot invest huge amounts of money in future teachers who teach for five years and then leave because they're burned out. Being burned out, being upset because things aren't going right or because you're struggling to get to the next level of learning how to teach is not an excuse to stop. We tell kids and adults who are struggling that they have to look at the world through a new set of eyes. In the classroom, we have to look at the world through a new set of eyes all the time. We have to learn to be all kinds of things. But it takes grit to become an expert. There is no more debate. You might, we might be born to be teachers, but we are not born to be experts. And someone who was not born to be a teacher might be born with the 
desires and the skills that are required to make them good teachers. So over the next however many podcasts, we'll explore all of these things in not a specific order. It's going to be episodic, but I hope to hear from you and I hope that I can inform your journeys into the classroom. Thanks for listening. Bye.